Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings VidCast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought. The topic du jour, special guest Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, and a Bill's noted commenter about Josh Allen's struggles thus far this year, and some things that kind of popped up this week in the Buffalo Bill's content sphere mr geary how are you this evening good evening mr exclusive it is a pleasure as always to be with you uh co-piloting this wonderful show of ours really looking forward to our uh, having our good friend chris trapasso uh with us this evening to talk a little bit about josh allen talk a little about cody ford and to tell everyone and debut to everyone this chicken sandwich in Medina, New York, that everyone uh, apparently, Chris Paso says, has to try. So we're, we've got a lot to get to in an hour. I'm also drinking this delicious Paula's Donut Peanut Stick Porter, which I'm showing in the camera. It's from uh, a local brewing company called Flying Bison. The creators of Rusty Chain are, as the kids would say, a back at it again. Wow. So would you say yeah. it's off the Rusty Chain? <laughs> Bruce, I'm, what it, what happened last week with it when you had a bad joke? Oh, okay, I almost moving, I almost quit the show. Moving along, moving along. Let's get started. Let's get started because the Bills squish the fish. I think thirty-five to nothing is officially hashtag squish the fish, and because of that, yes, we're gonna kick it off with seafood discussion, specifically likes and dislikes. And here's what I want to talk about when it comes to seafood, because I feel like this is a good way to get into this conversation. Seafood is one of those subgenres of food that everyone seems to have an independent line inside on where they draw it. They say, okay, I like fish, but no shellfish, or I mm. like fish and selfish, but no calamari. Or everyone seems to draw a line, but you don't see that line drawn in other things. Very few people say, well, I like chicken, but not pork. I'm going to draw the line inside white meat. Or, mm. hey, you know what? I really like beef ribs, but I don't like steak. Not a lot of people draw lines. It feels like when people need to draw a line in the meat category, they draw it inside fish. So I really need to know, Nate, do you draw a line somewhere inside fish? And why Absolutely. do you think that is? I'm a big, big texture guy. Obsessed with texture. Um, I think some of the greatest tasting dishes can be elevated to even like a, a, a next level if you can match textures right and, and have multiple textures within one dish, right? So for me, 
oh man, I, I draw the line pretty hard at anything with more than like three, four, how about over under four and a half legs? I'm going to start to ask questions and <laughs> anything, anything with tentacles out. So Ouch. no squid, no octopus for me. Um, I don't like the texture. I don't like looking at them in the wild. And that's also another rule for me. If I look at you in your natural habitat and I believe that you are creepy or you, you're slimy, like those things, those things are out for me. I actually didn't come around, Bruce, to, the, um, to seafood at all until I was in my late teens. Um, I did not eat any seafood whatsoever growing up. It just was not a part of, uh, my mom didn't like seafood. So therefore I never really had seafood, um, for dinner at home. And, you know, because I never had seafood at dinner at home, I wouldn't have it going out. So I didn't really get into, um, seafood until I was in college. And funny enough, I was brought into seafood through sushi, which I guess, is pretty radical. Like, mm. oh, you know, Nate, have a shrimp cocktail, or Nate, uh, try something that's a little bit more like elementary, like beginner. Nope, I went straight for the raw dragon roll and, uh, you know, like raw tuna, spicy tuna. And that's really how I got into it. But I still, my line is firm. There is a line in the sand and it is tentacle. Um, you know, and, and I, I also, by the way, I have tried whale while I was in um iceland i won't do that again either so whale is also going to be a part of that now this is important is alligator seafood yes and i wouldn't try it so, i won't do it i have i have had alligator it's not bad at all for me personally where wouldn't i draw it. the line is very individual i don't i'm one of those try everything once twice if you like it kind of guys so for me calamari if it's fried sure why not i'll give it a shot you know, but there's certain things that I draw the line on, but not based on like overarching groups. It's individual things. Everything's an individual yes or individual no. Hmm. You will find that I'm a very individualistic person when it comes to preferences. I don't really have big, sweeping, gigantic opinions. Now, I will say that you're over under four and a half legs. One of my favorite lines so far from Food for Thought. But when it comes to <laughs> me personally, specifically fish, I want fish that is homogenous. I, I don't like tilapia mm. because it's got weird veins and it's got weird lines in it. Give me like cod, give me halibut, give me things that are a little bit more. I didn't, I didn't start getting into whitefish until recently, but fishy whitefish and sea bass got me into whitefish. A grilled sea bass is, mm. it is as good as it gets flaky, not overly fishy, but get me into like swordfish. It's a little fishy for me. Um, I like and swordfish. That's uh, not for me. Uh, but, but sea bass, Chilean sea bass all day brother. Uh, but yeah, swordfish is not for me. Uh, I I've tried it multiple different ways. Just, it's just not something that, uh, that I find enjoyable to me, but you know, whitefish for the most part, I agree with you. Like tilapia, I do not like fried fish, like fish and chips. I don't like it at all, but I like most white fishes. I just, there is something about fried fish, like fried fish and chips. If you go to a European pub or, uh, um, an English pub, which I've been in England and I was at a pub and I didn't get fish and chips because I'm just like this. I, it just doesn't do it for me. Well, you know what does do it for me? Dolphin served up 35 to nothing, ladies and gentlemen. That's what does it for me. I'll get some, I'll get some chopsticks out. I'll just take the little individual pieces of the dolphin. I'm good to go. But 
there's still another narrative that keeps mm. hanging around because this 35 to nothing victory doesn't feel like 35 to nothing victories in the past. Now, one thing I'd like to say before we even get into that is that how much of that is a reflection of the times. Think about this team mm. two years ago when it came to Josh Allen and expectations for this offense. Think about where we were at as a fan base as a content creation community, media. And you said, if you get that game from Josh Allen, you go, well, he's developing, he's learning, right? It's going to come. But now you get that game and you go, oh man, is he regressing? It's a whole thing. So we should just be proud right off the bat of the fact that there is that discussion to be had. But we had a conversation last week where we ordered the offensive line, Allen, and play calling. Hmm. specifically in order and said, okay, who is most responsible to least responsible for the disappointment that has been the offense? I don't think anybody out there can say with a straight face, the offense has not been a disappointment through two weeks. You just can't. The question is, where do you assign the blame? And last week I had offensive line, Allen play calling. That was my order. Now that we're another, another week removed, I wonder if that's changed. Nate, has it changed at all for you? Yeah, I thought I think the offense, particularly the offensive line, had a really nice bounce back week against a far inferior, by the way, defensive line, which when your premier pass rusher is Emmanuel Ogba, and this is no shot at Ogba, who I think is a good pro, um, he's not seeing much field here in Buffalo if he's playing here. Uh, he's he's their premier guy and it's just not one where you look across the league and it and you're game planning to make sure he doesn't ruin your game plan. So I think for me, they played a far inferior defensive line. So good almighty, they needed to have a bounce back performance and, and, and almost on the opposite end of this, you saw just how bad that Miami offensive line is and what it does to that offense and what it does to the development of a young quarterback. So it can show you up close and personal when your offensive line can't block anybody, how detrimental that could be to quarterback play and how detrimental that could be to high caliber quarterback play and quarterback play. Maybe all of us have been very used to from Josh Allen over the past 18 to 20 games, but I still think part of the sample size is understanding this goes back more than just week two of the 2021 season. This goes into the playoffs. This goes back into the regular season towards the end of last year. So I think when you start to put context to it, you do start to wonder, you start to worry. You say we're five games in, six games in since Josh Allen's real last elite performance. And I think I'm going to look back on Sunday's game and, and I'm probably going to put him first, Bruce. And I think I might put the offensive line last this time. I mean, he had time. He had the ability to stay in the pocket. And there was a couple of times, Bruce, and I know you probably saw it too, that Josh Allen bailed out of clean pockets. And those that's not things that we've seen from Josh Allen really since his rookie season where he he's bailing out of clean pockets. And I think part of that has to do with a little bit of a, maybe a lack of, uh, of that full-on trust that he had last season in that offensive line to keep him upright, to give him passing lanes so that on his follow-throughs, he's not hitting helmets, uh, you know, things of that nature. So I think for me, and I know you'll – You'll you'll kind of brush on that as well, like that whole. We I know we have a great a great uh, mailbag uh, email that I know that I know you're going to go really go into depth on that. That maybe touches on that a little bit more. But I think the point remains: part of the scar tissue from his lack of trust or the breakdown of trust up front, I think, is leading to him bailing out of clean pockets, which is just something I thought we had moved on from. But it, it has definitely showed itself 
over the last two weeks, particularly last week against the Miami Dolphins. Something else that is scar tissue, like you mentioned from that, is mechanical breakdowns with Josh Allen. As more and more of the film has started to come out, you start to see some weird mechanical issues pop up with Josh Allen because he's not quite throwing with that same level of confidence that you saw coming into 2020, where the big narrative coming into that season was, look at all the mechanics that Josh Allen has worked on with Jordan Palmer this offseason. And then you go into 2021, you go, did he lose it? Or is it simply a symptom of it breaking down? One of the things I haven't talked about on this show that I have talked about on the Bruce Exclusive multiple times, specifically in the past, is the difference between someone being mechanically accurate and someone being naturally accurate. Does everything have to be right for you to be accurate? Like, Do you have the natural feel for a ball where you can throw an accurate ball even if the rest of your body is all jacked up? Or do things have to be precise? Peyton Manning talked about this when he was on with Eli Manning on ESPN2 looking at the Monday Night Football game, he flat out said, I needed everything to be right. I needed my feet to be right. I need everything to be right. That's the reason why Peyton Manning looked so robotic all the time throwing the football is because it needed to be. Because if things were jacked up, he didn't have the arm juice to be able to get the ball where he wants to get it. And that compensation that was necessary led to inaccurate passes. It's the reason why Peyton Manning would always look like he was shuffling in these tiny little steps. It's because he's trying to keep yeah. everything aligned correctly. And Josh Allen is in phase. someone trying to yeah, stay in phase, stay yeah. in the face, right? Stay in the face. It's just like an MMA turn, right? You don't want to make, you want to make sure that as often as possible, you are in a position where you can throw a strike. If That's you right. are moving your body in a way where you are not able to throw a strike from that position, that is an extra window that you gave to your opponent and an extra window that is closed for you to be able to counter strike. So it's very similar to that. So I think we're starting to see that kind of stuff too. So if Allen was three for you coming into this week, maybe he's starting to creep up a little bit. Maybe he's two. If he was two, maybe he's one. So moving along, the Buffalo Bills pass rush was pretty good. It was pretty, pretty good. But it should be noted that the Steelers' offensive line and the Dolphins' offensive line are not good units. So let me let me let me ask you this, Nate. The pass rush is it legit? Is this what we were looking for last year when we made that significant offensive, uh, sorry, significant defensive line investment? And you brought in Quentin Jefferson, and you brought in Vernon Butler, and you brought in Mario Addison, and you got nothing from it. Is this what we were hoping we were going to see, or have we just kind of faced bad offensive lines? I don't believe the the defensive line had like some kind of crazy performance in week one against Pittsburgh. I do believe Pittsburgh's offensive line is likely going to be better than a lot of us predicted they would be based on the fact that they just decided to not address it really at all. After losing, uh, you know, Mike Pouncey in the middle, uh, Marquise Pouncey, whichever, which the good Pouncey, I'm, I'm unsure of which one they lost, but the one that played for Pittsburgh, he retired, he's gone. They lose um, Alejandro Villanueva. He's the starting left tackle now in Baltimore. Like, they lost a ton of pieces. So, for me, the big thing I look at with this Bills defensive line is last week they played the worst offensive line in football. Point blank period, press send, forget about it. That was the worst offensive line I have seen. That's an embarrassment from a team that has invested multiple first-round picks, multiple second-round picks, and have absolutely no answers at the offensive line position. I think on top of that, 
that Tua Tonga Viola was likely victim of being easy to prepare for. You take away his first read, he becomes paralyzed. And I think you saw that early in the game. I think that's why he ultimately did not finish that game. We'll talk to Chris Trapasso, uh, our, our guest at 920, in a few minutes here. And, and I'm interested sort of in his overall thoughts of, of that early game plan with Tua Tonga Viola and where we go from here and where the Dolphins go from here with Tua because that game exposed what a lot of people had been saying about Tua. And I know we only got to see him for two drives, but in those two drives, he was exposed. And I think part of that was Leslie Frazier is dialing up a lot of exotic looks. When you talk about continuity, Bruce, I think a lot of the times it gets overrated. It gets over-talked about continuity, continuity. In this case, the time on task, the evolution of this defensive playbook, I can only imagine that that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott have to just be so giddy thinking about the fact that they've gotten to the back of the thesaurus and they've started writing on the back pages going back. Like they have evolved this defense. It looks nothing like the group. It looks nothing like the scheme we saw in year one and year two with almost the exact same personnel on the back end. So I think the evolution of this defense, Bruce, is going to give these defensive linemen more opportunities in five-man, six-man pressure looks where you're seeing guys like Gregory Russo dropping into coverage. You're seeing guys like Jerry Hughes play as a spy. And, and I think they have a lot of flexibility right now, Bruce. And on top of that, Mario Addison is likely going to give you the best 15, 17 snaps each week He's going to look like Mario Edison from three years ago because he's going to be fresh. He's going to his usage is at the proper point in this career, and I think the same can be said about Jerry Hughes because Bruce, the best edge combination I saw last week was AJ Epinesa paired with Gregory Rousseau, and I imagine that's going to be the one we see as a majority for the rest of the season with with sprinkling in Jerry and sprinkling in Mario Edison to keep it fresh to bring a different type of pass rusher. To the table. There's a lot of exciting things to be excited about on this defensive line, but I would worry, I'd be worried everyone that they're going to be playing better offensive lines. In fact, every other team they play in the 2021 season and beyond will be better than the offensive line we saw last Sunday in Miami. Well, you do get to play Miami again. So that's, that's nice. Great point. <laughs> that's, that's, that, what's another quiver in the uh, arrow in the quiver? But I think one of the things that we need to really talk about before we move on schematically against the Washington football team is that when you blitz, you're not necessarily blitzing out of necessity. So it's really important that you understand why your team is blitzing. Are they blitzing out of necessity? Or are they blitzing to get more one-on-one matchups on the edge? I'll give you a great example. The team that we are about to face, the Washington football team, they have one of the better, more talented front fours in all of football, yet they remain blitz heavy. Why? You have Chase Young. You have Sweat. You have Matt Ioannidis. They're not getting home, you have though, John Bruce. John Allen. They're not like, getting home. And so why do they keep blitzing? Why is that part of the why is that part of the identity? It's because they they think, listen, these guys right now need to get home. Let's give them one-on-ones. Let's Correct. do that. Why are you blitzing? And when Matt Milano comes up the middle, Matt Milano comes up the middle so that you can't double team Ed Oliver and Gregory Rousseau and AJ Epinesa. It's a matter of understanding what is the method behind the madness. Why are you blitzing? For some teams, you're blitzing because you don't know anything else. Rex Ryan, Wink Martindale, they blitz because they just believe it. That's it's who they DNA. are. Yeah. If, you, if you take them to the airport and they walk through the scanning thing, it says blitz right there on the skeleton. It's hardwired into who they are. But one of my questions, one of the things I'm looking for schematically 
in the Washington football game and the Buffalo Bills, I want to know if they do it again. Hmm. I want to know because you're having conflictual data now. We know what the Washington football team has done for the first two games, which is blitz. But we also know what teams have done and found success against Josh Allen, which is not blitz. So the unstoppable force has met the immovable object. Two seemingly conflictual data points are colliding here. I want to see what the Washington football team does. I want to know if they're going to pin their ears back and come, or if they're going to say, you know what? I think that we can get there with four and Josh Allen has been struggling against pressure without blitzing. We think our guys can get there. We believe it. We're going to get it. I really want to know if we see a high blitz rate. That is my, my number one thing because something has to give. Something has to give in this matchup. Nate, what are you looking for schematically in the Washington football team game? I, much like I believe Miami changed a little bit of who they are, it still didn't work. I think it would be a big mistake for the, um, it, w- it would be a huge mistake for Washington to remain as aggressive as they've been to try to give Chase Young opportunities to be one-on-one. Guess what? You draft him second overall so that he can win in situations and you can rush for and drop back seven. Like those are the types of things you'd spend four first round picks on defensive linemen to do. And if they're unable to do that, their back end, Jonathan Bostic, um, Jamin Davis, their first, uh, their one of their main draft picks at this last offseason, trying to remake that linebacker. Right now, those linebackers are being exposed. So I think part of the reason, Bruce, we're talking about them blitzing as much as they are, sure, is to give Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, um, you know, Montez Sweat more opportunities to get one-on-ones. I think part of it is if we're worried about Jamin Davis, if we're worried about Jonathan Bostic being in coverage, well, let's just blitz. Let's just get their liability out and let's just get pin their nose back and just let them go at the quarterback. So I think part of this is a little bit deeper than just Hey, you know, we're looking for more one-on-ones for our defense, our struggling defensive line, that this high caliber defensive line. And some of this really is these guys are liabilities in coverage. We'd rather them blitzing. We'd rather their their hand in the ground. We'd rather them being playing downhill um and, and trying to get after the quarterback. So I think part of that, I think both things are true with this Washington defense, but it is it's been interesting to me as of late to see the 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 volume in which we're watching Washington blitz with, especially. Bruce, I think it's also interesting to see Washington's maybe regression defensively and how much the quality or quote supposed quality of this defense of how, listen, I mean, I bought big into Washington on that defense on almost all my dynasty leagues because I was thinking, man, four first round picks on that offensive line. I like who they've got in the secondary. Landon Collins is a nice piece. Like they've got some things on that defense. The problem is, is that the the quality of competition, the quality of quarterback that they played last year skewed the numbers in a way that I think a lot of people maybe bought high when maybe the best time to buy this Washington defense is going to be at some point this year when they're at their low, because eventually this defense will ascend. The question is, can they ascend with Jonathan Bostic and, uh, and, and Jamin Davis, who is a good player and I expect to take some steps this year in Washington, but with those two, can this defense ascend to the level that people predicted they would in the 2021 season? And I don't think it starts this week against the Bills. When there were questions about whether or not the Buffalo Bills defense was going to regress, going into last year, there were three things I looked at. The first one was, did they have a scenario 
where they were getting a sack rate that was way outside the norm. This was the Jacksonville Jaguars sort of issue when the Jacksonville Jaguars defense regressed because, of course, the narrative last year was, hey, the Bills are the Jaguars. You know what I mean? <laughs> so for the first thing I looked at was, is their sack rate unsustainable? The second thing was the Bears part, which is, are they getting turnovers at an obscene rate or defensive touchdowns at an extreme rate, which has been proven to be a little bit random. And the third thing was, did they face a markedly below average slate of quarterbacks? And someone should have done that same exercise yeah. with the Washington football team coming into this year, and maybe they wouldn't have had that happen to them. But right on cue, we have joining us right now from CBS Sports, Chris Trapasso, Mr. Trapasso, how you doing, dude? I'm doing great, guys, and it's an honor to be on this super creative podcast. I'm really excited to talk food and talk bills. I love listening to everything that you're diving deep into with the Washington football team's defensive regression that we've kind of seen a little glimmer of in these first couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm very excited to be on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. And, and might I just say, my two favorite people – to have dynasty fantasy trade <laughs> conversations with are both here because yes. both of them are at least straight up with me. There's always this <laughs> element of like subterfuge or something when it comes to dynasty trades. I'm like, just, just level with me here, folks. Bruce, just, Bruce is subtweeting Greg Thompson right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm subpotting. I'm subpotting. <laughs> no, no, Greg's been very up. He always says, listen, my job is mash confusion. I just want to send you a bunch of stuff and hope you get confused and hit okay <laughs> on one of them, right? Because everyone always realizes that if you're in a dynasty league, you're going to be in that league for a long time. And if yeah. you're negotiating in bad faith all the time, like – People aren't going to want to deal with you. So I just want to say yeah. out front that for those people who are listening to this as a pod or are watching, you can you can trust the two people here to shoot you straight with those stuff. And hopefully they'll shoot you straight about chicken sandwiches because Mr. Tabasso, Nate was telling me that there is yeah. a chicken sandwich that resides in Medina, New York, that we all need to have as part of our lives. Can you please fill me in before we get into the football? Absolutely. It is at Sourced Market and Eatery in Medina. Uh, they have two chicken sandwiches. And, and if you're like Nate or Marcel, who we lost to Miami just a couple of weeks ago, sadly, um, that you like a variety of chicken sandwiches. They have just a regular that's like brined in like a buttermilk um, with pickled slaw, like hot sauce aioli. And then they do a Korean oh, that buddy. has some sweet sauce to it. Um, they are so crunchy, but then juicy on the inside. Chibata uh, bread for the original. Um, it, it's there. It, it's every last detail that you want in a really good chicken sandwich from down to the sauce, uh, fitting the Korean uh, kind of template to be that sweet and a little bit spicy. The bread is super good. They they go to the nth degree. They sous vide the chicken uh, to make sure it's really juicy. So they go to the nth degree, sourced, market, and eatery in Medina. I, I think, and I, I do live in Medina, so I, I might be a little biased. Although, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I hate bias when it comes to the draft, and I try to stay away from it. You do need to get to Medina and try one of their chicken sandwiches. Usually a special like every couple weeks on Wednesday or Friday, that's when they do their specials. 
both the original and the Korean are superb. I get them every single time it's on the menu. Well, first of all, Chris, um, may I may I comment on the duster? As yeah, a, uh, I'm dabbling a little bit. Yeah, I, I as you know what. I was shaving uh, right before a golf tournament this summer, and I'm shaving the sides, and it just – I had only the mustache left, and I'm like, you know what? For this big scramble, it's like the one that my friends and I really get amped for every summer. It's like, I'm going to leave this. We ultimately like lost by a couple shots, which was a bummer, but I liked it. My wife kind of liked it. When I was out at the bars Lucky after, you. people were like, hey, yeah. like I think it looks pretty good on you. Shaved it because it was like super long. Um, but then I was like, you know what, going to the Bills game on Sunday, I'm like, I'm going to kind of get it a l- little bit of an early start on No Shave November. Uh, mm. I've never been a big mustache guy, but I know, Nate, you yeah. have dabbled as well. You did last year, or maybe it was two years ago. It I was a COVID year. stash. Yeah, I had, I had a COVID yeah, stash, COVID and, stash. Then, and then I backed I it up it. with a, with a post-COVID stash. Yeah, I um, yeah. So I trust me, I, I do believe in the stash. The problem is... Uh, unlike your wife, my girlfriend wasn't as open to the addition to the family uh, as as your wife is. But you're you're a dad, so like you have every right. Like it's it's actually written. It's 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 a blood yeah. code. It's written in blood that dads on demand can grow a mustache whenever they want. So, until I get to that point, I'm 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 you know I'm dancing with the devil here. Um, but Chris, I, I wanted to dive into a little football with you, and I wanted to before we dive into football like maybe reminisce back into, I believe it was 2020 when I came out and golfed with you at your club. And one of the things, I don't know, I forget what hole we were on. We were, you know, at an approach shot and we started talking about Cody Ford and we said something along the lines of, we both like said it at the same time. We were like, did we just become best friends? It was like, Cody Ford's a guard, right? Like we both said it like at the same time. And we are like, this is where he should be. I we're, We were both confused as to why, this team was so incessant on him playing offensive tackle. Now that he's moved into the position, he's mentioned it this week. Like he feels at home at guard where all we can do is go on what we've seen through two games, Chris, but projecting forward and, and thinking about where Cody Ford can be at by the end of the season, when he's got the time on task necessary, how important of a move was this and how important will it be for this bill's offensive line as it comes together this season for his development to be fully realized. It's absolutely vital. Uh, And I think that was the kind of general consensus in that draft class that Cody Ford played tackle at Oklahoma, but was probably best at guard in the NFL. I don't really understand why the Bills tried to kick him out uh, or keep him out there, that maybe it was just, hey, there's more positional value. If you get a really good right tackle, then then that's, I guess, more valuable than guard. Um, but then you, you do see this kind of chorus from offensive or defensive coordinators that say, hey, like pressure on the interior is actually more damaging than pressure from the outside. I think Cody Ford, in his natural position, he can kind of ease into it. He's playing left guard and then right guard and right tackle. They're trying him out everywhere. Um, I think we'll see a stronger and more confident Cody Ford as the season progresses. I think he's been a pretty good run blocker through two games. The entire offensive line was not good against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they really, um, against a much less talented Dolphins front last week, really got after it. And I think for someone that's been injured, moved around a bunch of positions, 
to even have a game like last week where the offensive line really mows down a defensive line and protects Josh Allen well, that's huge for their confidence. And the one kind of key area for Cody Ford, despite him being as big as he is, kind of showed up on tape a little bit at Oklahoma. He just needs to get a little bit stronger. And I don't think he's had the time and uh, enough availability not being injured to be able to build that NFL caliber strength. I think we'll see that as the season progresses going into every Sunday, understanding, all right, this is the type of power that I'm going to deal with at right guard. So it's a huge uh, kind of finished product to have him be entrenched at right guard and have this be a cohesive offensive line. But just remember, if you think Cody Ford should be an offensive guard, they draft him as offensive tackle. It's clearly because you think you know more than the team. So just make sure that's really important (laughs) for all the Twitter trolls out there. So (laughs) Moving along, the guy that Cody Ford is protecting or not protecting, depending on the snap, is Josh Allen. And he's been a hot topic this week. And you went back and you mentioned on social media that you went back and watched all of the snaps from Josh Allen. And you came away with some conclusions in regards to what you think is plaguing him. And a lot of people have different takes on what's plaguing Josh Allen. Some say, well, it's all the offensive line. Nate and I talked about offensive line, Allen play calling like where do you put the blame what percentage do you give to each how do you rank them some people say he's completely fine he's being let down by the offensive coordinator some people say oh they're not hitting the easy buttons enough right not enough rpos not enough play action not enough motion they're not hitting the easy buttons the offense looks different than it did last year you came away with conclusions on josh allen fill us in on what those are yeah i mean in terms of the blame i i think it's about uh, even 33% split because, yeah, we could see a little bit more play action. There could be some more conservative style first reads for him. Um, but I think Nate could probably speak to this better than I can as a former quarterback. Uh, that Josh Allen, I think, is just having problems in the moment, realizing does he need to put air under a pass down the field or does he need to fire it in there? There was a throw to Emmanuel Sanders, I believe in the second half last week. It was a deep over route. Byron uh, uh, Byron Jones gets in front of it, right? Yes, Byron Jones ultimately tipped away the pass in the end zone. I watched that, and I've been extremely fortunate that CBS Sports has a contract with a, a company called True Media, so we've had All-22 access through this ridiculous Game Pass debacle where no one's had All-22 until, I think, today. Um, so I watched it from All-22, Emmanuel Sanders wins off the line of scrimmage. It's that patented Bills offense deep over out. Emmanuel Sanders has like two steps on Byron Jones at about the 10-yard line. Josh Allen sees it. He's looking right at it. I don't know if that was his first read, but he's looking there. And instead of just firing it in, which we know Josh Allen can do, he kind of like faded away and tried to do this little touch pass, and it allowed Byron Jones, who's a freak athlete, super explosive, and has – insane recovery speed enough time to get underneath it and tip it away there was a wheel route to Devin Singletary that needed to have more air under it and Josh Allen fired it in and Devin Singletary not being the big target that he's you know five foot eight sails over his head I think that just from a mindset perspective is just not really clicking yet with Josh Allen and a quick aside on this my best friend's uncle named Uncle Mike, I call him. I, I just call him my uncle. He's the smartest Bills fan that I know. Uh, Mike Masidi. I'm going to call him out full first and last name. He sent me a text before the season, and I should have tweeted this because I thought it was really a good point. 
he was wondering, he was not skeptical about Josh Allen coming into this season. I mean, I think we all probably agreed that if he regressed a little bit stat wise, it, it, it wouldn't be super shocking, but that if Josh Allen has this breakout in 2020 with basically no fans, like no energy in the stadium, good or bad at home or on the road. Could we maybe see maybe at the beginning of the year that sugar high Josh Allen that Kyle Brandt always talks about still to this day on Good Morning Football? And I thought that was a great point. I, I didn't tweet it before the season. I'm glad that I'm bringing it up now because I think that's kind of what we're seeing that he admitted in that Steelers game. Yeah, I was a little bit amped up. I was taking too many shots early. There was Cole Beasley underneath and Gabe Davis open underneath. I was taking those shots. So I think that maybe could be factoring in it if you want to take a step back and think a little more theoretical. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if as we get into the second home game and he gets more acclimated to these full pack stadiums at home and on the road, if he is able to make those decisions. Do I put air under this deep ball or do I fire it in there over the middle? That to me individually from Josh Allen uh, was kind of the, the biggest thing that I noticed right away. Chris, I, I, I made this comparison before to to people and to friends. I don't think I've ever actually said it on a podcast or on the radio or on Twitter, but Josh Allen reminds me a lot of JJ Redick in that mm. when he is on, there probably isn't a better shooter and or passer in the league in rhythm. Um, Patrick Mahomes is not a rhythm thrower. Uh, in fact, he exists almost solely out of rhythm. That's sort of what makes him so <laughs> yeah. unique is that he's able to hold, to hold, throw off balance, you know, bring his arm to different angles and still deliver the ball with velocity accurately. Josh Allen can do that to an extent, but really when Josh Allen, Chris, is at his best is when the ball is out in the third step, when it's out, when there's no hitches. When Josh mm -hmm. Allen is confident and he's dealing he is, there is no one better in momentum, in the moment on a heater. He, over the last two weeks, Chris, to me, has been chasing misses early in football games. And I've said this since his rookie yep. year. When Josh Allen comes out in the game and he starts three for three, four for four, five for five, he starts early, hot. Typically, that rolls into the rest of the game. But he starts one for three, one for four. He still has yet in this point in his career been able to dig himself out of that because what ends up happening, Chris, is one for four then he's chasing the three misses that he's had instead of just moving on to the next play. And he's mentioned it point. this week that the best quarterbacks have the short memory. It's to the next play. It's not chasing the, the missed opportunity on the prior play. And, and I think that's the best comparison I've, 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 I've thought about him is moving outside of the sport and thinking about some of the clutchest, you know, hottest shooters of all time in the NBA and, and in college basketball. When he is on, Chris, there aren't many better in rhythm than Josh Allen. And he's just yeah, not in rhythm. Great. I just think he's not in rhythm. Yeah, that's a great point, Nate. Yeah, so I want I, to talk about that a little go, bit. Go ahead, Bruce. I, sure. I want to build yeah. on something that Nate just said, and that was starting hot, remaining hot. Hmm. Isn't that the job of Brian Dable to be able to script up something in the first 15 plays that will allow yeah. your quarterback to be able to do that? Like, how much of this? Because I'm not a offense is bad, therefore it's Dable's fault guy. I'm never going to be that. I think that that's a defense mechanism that uh, that football fans in general have done for years because it's so much easier in their minds to just swap out an offensive coordinator than it is to change out a $258 million man. So it's a defense mechanism that we have built because we don't want to put any or enough blame at the feet of the quarterback. But let's put some 
at the feet of Brian Dable. If we know this about Josh Allen, if Josh Allen is one of those start, 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 hop. Oh my gosh. I can talk. Start hot. Stay hot kind of guy. No sleep in the last 24 hours. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. Excuse myself. <laughs> but if he's one of those people, then how much of that blame falls on Brian Dable for not allowing the script to be able to get him into rhythm? Let's let's get some easy reads up there. Let's get some high lows. Let's get him on the move. Let's get some RPOs. Let's get some play action. Let's do the things that create simple <laughs> binaries so he can start to feel it. Am I wrong, Chris? No, you're not wrong. And that's what I said at the beginning of my answer that I think, you know, that we saw that last year, Josh Allen had one of the highest play action rates in the NFL. We know from just the analytics wave that that that's just going to make your quarterback more efficient. And that's been a little bit lower through two games. And there has kind of been studies done that, that have said, you know, the success of your run game doesn't really have any bearing long-term on how well your play action works, but the bills are running the football a little bit better. So if you do buy into that at all, or if one sole defensive coordinator watches bills film and says, man, Devin Singletary looks a lot better. The offensive line is blocking better for the run. You could maybe get a game or two where the play action might be more effective. And we know it can be really effective because it was last year. One other point on this, um, I know it's 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 early. It's only two games, but people are a little bit concerned, or, or they at least have those questions, like who's to blame, what's wrong. A couple of throws, and the guys at PFF bring this up a lot. Like sometimes, like when you dial up a long play, it just it's kind of random that like on that play there might be a blown block, and Josh Allen isn't perfectly. Uh, from the right platform that he wants to, to throw the football or the coverage just happens to be uh, the perfect coverage for your deep over route that the bills have hit so many times. And I noticed that a couple times um, going back to watch the film where there was just some looks that were there and either Devin Singletary would get blown up into Josh Allen's lap and it had to be kind of a difficult throw or he had to move somewhere in the pocket away from the throw and kind of took away some of the accuracy. So I think there's been, a little bit of randomness in there too, that just when they've tried to hit those big plays or even the easy ones that he hit a lot last year, everything hasn't really been perfect for him. So I, I think you have to also throw in just sometimes it's going to be schemed open and the coverage is going to be the exact coverage that you want or the blitz pickup is going to be perfect. And other times it's just not going to happen. Sorry, okay. I was on mute. Sorry. I got, I got, I got one more Bruce. All right, what's up? Just on, just on the Josh Allen topic, and Chris, I guess maybe to put a bow on this whole thing is trying to understand the intersection of all of these factors. Like we're talking about the offensive line play. We're talking about play calling. We're talking about pressing and, and chasing plays. The intersection of all of this is it feels like there are multiple factors at play here. And I think the better one of the better things that I think about with Josh Allen and why I believe there's upside to him going back to this is I keep going back to last year in his runner-up MVP campaign is for me, I think a lot about that two and a half game stretch against the Jets and against the Patriots where they essentially score one touchdown offensively, Chris, in two yeah. games, they score yeah. one offensive touchdown. Mm -hmm. And yet the other 14 games in that season, he's for the most part playing close to or very, very close to or at his ceiling. I, there's always going to be 
some disparity in Josh Allen's game. There's always going to be some highs and some lows. And I think for me, the area where I thought he could most improve this year was to even sacrifice some of those real, those peaks. The Denver Broncos game comes to mind. The San Francisco games, sacrificing a little bit of that for a little less of the Jets, a little less of the Patriots. And I think you might have a better season than the year before. So I think for me, it's trying to play in a more balanced straight line rather than this high variant of, of highs and lows where it's two weeks high, one week low, three weeks high, one week low. I think that we're not really seeing a lot different than we saw at certain stretches of last season, which is a super important, I think, contextual point to just keep in mind when we're all sort of wondering what's wrong with Josh is I think, I think we didn't know better last year when we saw that Jets and, and Patriots game. I think we didn't quite realize that Josh could be an MVP caliber candidate in the middle of the season, not until the end of the season that we really start to have that conversation. So why is it any different two weeks into this season? Is it just because that pressure is there and we know the ceiling exists? It's the pressure and the contract. And that's the best point that any of us have made tonight, Nate, is that it is only two weeks in. It gives us something to talk about, but they did face – uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense that had the higher, highest pressure creation rate in the NFL last year, and the Dolphins that have the best man-to-man cornerback tandem in football. It's not going to be crazy if we look back and go, oh, yeah, the, the two worst games from Josh Allen's 2021 season were against those two defenses. So it's very early. One last thing I want to say before I head out, um, if you're going to the Bills game Sunday or any Sundays, I have to give a shout-out to my guys, the Parker brothers that I tailgate with every home game on Sundays, they did stinger subs for the home opener against the Steelers. And they're doing garbage plates this Sunday. They have a, like a restaurant quality setup. Uh, they park like next to the tailgate village. Um, I believe it's lot three or lot four um, across Abbott road. They do like deep fried everything. They do deep fried Turkey one week. They do spaghetti. They do breakfast. Like they go all out. So I have to give a shout out on food for thought to the place that I tailgate every bills Sunday, the Parker brothers. It's a really, really good time. And they go that extra mile to just give you more than just wings and pizza logs and burgers. Good for that. My, my good friend, uh, chef James, Andrew, uh, James Roberts, he's the head chef and, uh, owner of two here in Buffalo, which is, oh, if you haven't been to two please amazing. go Dubutsu. Dubutsu is one of the best fresh seafood restaurants you can find in Western New York. He texted me and asked me if I was going to have an opportunity to go to any tailgate. I'd say, no man, sorry. Like I'm all pregame eight to 1230. And then I leave the stadium, <laughs> yeah. but I'm actually, I'm, this year I'm actually going to be at games, which is fantastic. But he, he wanted, and I, I'll leave you with this, Chris. He, he sent me his menu for this Sunday for the tailgate. By the way, this is not an open invitation to Chef James's tailgate. I'm just telling everyone what's, what's <laughs> happening. Now, you may try to find him and get geotags on Chef James, but eggs, mushroom gravy, grits, poblano breakfast sausage, smoked Ooh. poblano sausage, wood roasted, I'm sorry, wood roasted maitake. I'm not even sure what that is. And and his fresh two-ton biscuits. So Man. if you know fresh, if you know Chef James, you better hit him up and try to find his tailgate because he's going to be cranking out the, the the morning meals. I'm just glad that like the Bills and Bills Mafia are like famous for their tailgating, but it's way more than just wings and burgers way and more. french fries. Like there's so many That's other lazy. tailgates like Chris. Yeah, it's I call it craft tailgating. That's what I call it. And craft I love tailgating. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's I listen. Brilliant. As 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 a guy that grew up uh, as a with a dad as a season ticket holder, then myself as a season ticket holder, and have not been yeah. able to join it, enjoy a tailgate and and the better part of four or five years, um, I used to get 
like I used to wear it into the game how frustrated I'd be if the tailgate didn't include at minimum like crockpot pork shoulder. Like at the yeah, very least, gotcha. you better have some pulled pork. Like don't come up here. Listen, I love Salins. I love Wardinsky. I love Zweigel. Yeah. I love all those. But that is like, that's what I want when I come back. I want a leftover Zweigel. I want a leftover Perfect. Salin. Yep. You know, I just want to like rip into a hot dog. It doesn't even have to be hot. I just like, that's post- tailgate meal during tailgates people should be going all out don't go with the hot dogs and hamburgers frozen hot dogs and hamburgers give me a break people this is bill's football it's september this is where you bring out all the stops you 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 go salins in december in september you better bring the pulled pork at a very baseline minimum nate going absolutely all in on tailgate chris tailgates do you have a second for a question before we let you out of here yeah definitely Richard in the comment section says, Chris, last year, Allen was great at beating the blitz and Washington is blitz happy. Will Allen excel like last year this Sunday? I think he will because what you mentioned, Bruce, uh, that there was some thought that the bills aren't hitting the easy button enough. Mm -hmm. And it's been two games where Josh Allen has kind of made mention. And I think Brian Dable understands that. And I saw it on film, even against the dolphins that I think, they were trying to hit that deep over route. That's really a good man beater. If you can win off the line, like the Bills receivers can, there were some times where Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis hasn't really been involved very much through two games. I know he's been a little banged up. I think we'll see a lot more control the clock kind of old school Patriots methodical moving the football down the field to get it out of his hands. So he's not off platform. He's not under pressure a lot. Like he was against the Steelers. A lot of Cole Beasley, a lot of Isaiah McKenzie even, um, and even Stephon Diggs on those short routes. And that is certainly the way that you beat the Blitz. And I think at this point, like you proved last year, Josh Allen can process quick enough and he's comfortable enough in this Brian Dable offense to understand where he needs to go against the Blitz. So I think not a huge scoring game, not not 35 points again against this defense, um, but we will see Josh Allen excel against the Blitz if Washington decides to send a lot of those extra rushers his way. Mr. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports, thank you so much for being a part of this show. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and what you're up to right now? You can find me at cbssports.com and on TikTok. Like, that's my new favorite thing. Like, get on TikTok. It's not just people dancing. Uh, I'm doing a lot of film reviews on there. I mean, I can sit on there and scroll for a long time. I have to tell myself not to because there's so many funny videos. But I'm doing a lot of like film reviews, college football on Saturdays, sprinkle that in during the week, but a lot of NFL stuff. Um, so, yeah, CBSSports.com, of course, and on TikTok, at Chris Trapasso. If you can find a way to marry the concepts of TikTok film reviews and TikTok dances, I, I think you might be onto something. <laughs> Mr. Trabasso. I could maybe do blow the, up. I could go viral then. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Do the little, do the little, uh, the fist pounding. Huh? Some yeah. questions to ask Chris. What kind of <laughs> players do I like this week? You know, things like that. Mr. Trabasso, yeah. thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate it. Thanks guys. Thanks buddy. That was Chris Trapasso from CBS sports. Always, always a good dude to have on. I mean, I, I, I've had Chris on, uh, the Bruce exclusive the earlier, just a couple weeks ago, because we wanted to talk about, college football players to keep an eye on. And mm. Chris obviously has, has an eye on the bills. So it's nice to have somebody who's part of the national media, but also part of the draft media, but also has an eye on the bills. It's just, it's a nice little Venn diagram to fit into specifically this community. So very, very grateful that he was able to take some time and be on this show. A reminder that Chris Trapasso and all of our guests are brought to you on 
the Thrive Fantasy Hotline. Come pop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has awarded over $4 million thus far. Thrive's featured $100,000 guaranteed contest is $20 to enter, and first place takes home $20,000. Use promo code BUFFBILLS, that's B-U-F-F-B-I-L-L-S, when you sign up today, and you will receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Again, that's www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Mr. Geary, we have things in the comments section to talk about. We have some questions. Not only did Richard Rush send a question to Mr. Trapasso, but Frank in the comments section says, will the Bills get hawk to speed up his punting mechanics every punt looks like a potential block now i will go ahead and tackle this one first it should be noted that matt hawk has punted a lot in the nfl a lot and does not have a blunk a blocked punt percentage that is outside the norm so yes it looks slow it absolutely does but the results have not been there this is something that feels like we may be overreacting to a little bit based on what we saw last week and what we saw week one against the Steelers. But Matt Hawk has not punted any differently this year than he has the remainder of his career, and he hasn't really had a blocked punt issue. So I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that, Nate, but I'll turn the floor over to you. I want to rip my hair out. How do you think you'd look with no hair? I'm not sure. I, for those that are listening to this in podcast form the day after and aren't getting the opportunity to look at my hair right now, I, I'm like, um, I can't lie. You know, it's like that, that sort of situation with my hair. I've grabbed it and I, listen, I have no more place in my brain to talk about the punter for Christ's sake, guys. Three pregame shows in a row. Preseason, first game, second game. I've spent more airtime talking about the Bills punter than I have almost everything else. When have we become punt mechanic uh, experts here in Bills Mafia? Give me a break, guys. I just, who cares? Like, I... I've got to, you know, maybe one day, Bruce, we'll bring on a an old friend of mine, Jake Shum, from Hamburg, went to high school with him. He's two years older than me, punted at Buffalo State College right before I got to Buffalo State College, went on to play at UB for a year, punted for the Green Bay Packers, punted for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a guy that can tell you a little bit about punting mechanics. Otherwise, you punting on your turkey trot game once a year, uh, is not qualifying you to know the mechanics of a punter and whether or not you think he's holding onto the ball too long. I don't want to talk about the punter anymore, Bruce. I mean, we could bring on Brother Bill. He punts every week. My God. It's- we also have a mailbag. 
we have a mailbag here and I want to talk a little bit about it. And Chad sent me an email and said, hello, Bruce. I hope you're well. First off, Chad, I appreciate the fact that you led your email with that. He said, after listening to your podcast, along with another content provider, there's something I think needs attention. While Josh Allen does need to perform better, I think there are reasons, not excuses, if there's data support, for his regression over the first two games of the season. According to Joe Marino at Locked On Bills, defenses have been imposing pressure on Josh on about 40% of his dropbacks. While this alone is not alarming, defenses are only blitzing on about 12% of their dropbacks, which means they have seven in coverage. It's extremely difficult for quarterbacks to succeed when their protection is this poor. Josh, as a mobile quarterback, has been able to escape pressure before and succeed. However, being a right-handed quarterback, his probability for success is greater when he escapes to his right. During your podcast this week, you mentioned the impact of pressure coming from the right side having as much, if not more, impact on a quarterback when speaking about our defense this week. Does this not apply when it happens to our quarterback as well? Josh has been seeing a great deal of pressure from the right side, thus being forced to his left. Josh has lost confidence in his protection, which is evident by his happy feet and his decisions to run from pressure on a few plays before it's gotten to him. I think fans and commentators are up in arms about the wrong contract extension from this offseason. Daryl Williams, who during the first two games has played terribly. PFF, I cannot quote the actual grade has given him very low grades each of the first two weeks. I was going to make a joke that maybe Bobby Hart kidnapped Daryl Williams and has been an imposter for the last two weeks. But now that the Bills signed Hart to their practice squad, this theory no longer works. It does at least promote Daryl Williams from being the worst offensive lineman on the roster for the time being. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Have I been able to fit a couple puzzle pieces together as a plausible reason for what we are seeing? Nate, I will let you tackle this first. So Darrell Williams hasn't been good. I don't think he's been necessarily the worst at times. I, I I think this entire line is built more to pass protect. So it, the the thing that has I think worried me a little bit is how much they've struggled in pass pro. But I think it gets better. I'm not willing to to simply cross out and say no, no, no. Um, there's no correlation between pressure regularly happening on Josh Allen's right side and some of his inaccuracies early on in this football season as a quarterback who threw from for through who threw last season for less than 60% completion percentage just twice in the 2020 season has already thrown twice through two games in the 2021 season. I don't think that can exactly be ignored. And I think if you're going to explore the reasons and try to hypothesize as to why, since we can't know what's happening inside this thing here, uh, I'm pointing to my head, those listening on a podcast. I think one of the first things we could do is what is physically ailing him. He's not injured, right? So if he's not injured, what are the factors in front of him on the offensive line that might be leading him to not setting his feet, to taking sloppy footwork? But we know that Josh Allen is not the perfect fundamental quarterback. That's not where he thrives. In fact, most of the time, he is perfectly imperfect. He does a lot of things in a non-conventional way. A lot of other ways that like a guy like Patrick Mahomes, and I mentioned he's not in rhythm on in-phase sort of quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. In fact, he thrives outside of the scope. He, he thrives off of schedule, much like Josh Allen can at times. But I do believe Josh Allen, at his best as a passer, is an in-rhythm passer. And so far, they've been so out of sync. And I think Josh Allen, I think the point about him chasing points is almost more important about these uh, potential mechanic 
downfalls or offensive line play. I think he is not taking the five and seven yard receptions that at times he was always willing to take last year. So for me, that's why I think a lot of people are pointing to a guy like Cole Beasley is having a really big game this week because I think he's always open. And you see Josh Allen time and time again, skipping over the four and a half, five yard gain on first down, which is what this offense feasted on in the 2020 season is just taking that four and five and six yard gain on first down, giving themselves second and short. Your play call sheet is humongous on second and short. Do you know what it is on second and 10? Not nearly as broad or as wide or as multiple as that is that play calling list at second and four is. So I think Josh Allen in this offense, the way they get right is by taking the things that the defense are giving them on first down, taking those four and five yard receptions and giving themselves opportunities to have second and third and short. So that, I think, will get this offense back on pace, back on schedule. But for me, it's the simple balance between in-rhythm throws from inside the pocket, but also those off-schedule plays from Josh Allen. We are not seeing those at the same level. And I think part of the reason is, Bruce, he's been less competent, less efficient from the pocket. Therefore, he is almost trying to press from the pocket instead of making those off-schedule plays and phasing those in and sprinkling those in um, throughout, throughout the game. So I think there's a lot here, Bruce to point to. I'm not sure I want to point to the flaws in his mechanics coming from lack of play on the right side of the offensive line is the main reason he's struggling with accuracy. He's a non-conventional quarterback. He's going to throw off weird platforms, off weird angles, off his back foot, across his body. Those are the things that he does. Those are the things that make him great. So we can't in one hand say he has to have perfect mechanics week in and week out for him to be successful or oh man, he's falling backwards because those are the highlight reel plays we see regularly from Josh. He is missing the layups, Bruce. He's missing the screen passes out to Cole Beasley, overthrowing him or underthrowing him. They're missing those easy throws on the wheel route to Devin Singletary. That's got to be a 15-yard gain and you got to make that play and you got to give him a chance to catch it. So he's missing the layups, Bruce. And I think when those come, the trickle down, the domino effect that happens after that is where I think this offense starts to find its breath, starts to find its rhythm again. And, and that's really where I see it, not necessarily from lack of play from the right side of the offensive line. Although I will say that's a contributing factor. And that right there, that's something I want to talk about before we move on. The difference between an excuse and a contributing factor. So a contributing factor is exactly what it sounds like, right? It's something that we acknowledge as being true, and we acknowledge that it is part of the result we're seeing. An excuse is something literally that excuses the result we're seeing. The result we're seeing is applied no weight. No weight because of it. That's what excuse means. When you use it as a verb, it excuses it as, as if it never happened, right? So when we look at Josh Allen's play, we say, okay, this is a contributing factor for it. It's not an excuse for it. An excuse would imply that the only thing that is contributing is offensive line play. And as such, we should apply no weight to the actual quarterback because it's being excused. So we need to draw a distinction there between excuse and contributing factor. The last thing we want to talk about, the digestive. We're going to have some coffee here after mm -mm -mm. we had dessert. And it's winners and losers from this week. In the NFL, I'm going to go first. I'm going to take a loser. It's Adam Gase. Adam Gase. <laughs> first off, I don't think you need another week for Adam Gase to be a loser. He's been a loser enough times in his NFL career. But the success that you are seeing from Sam Darnold and the Panthers has got to be just an absolute death knell for any chance of Adam Gase ever 
getting an inexplicable shot at another reasonable Bruce, job in the NFL. He's going to be the offensive coordinator for Alabama next season. You know what? I, I, I don't believe it. I just don't believe it, Nate. I don't believe it. I think that at some point, justice has to be served. At some point, we have to understand that this guy owes his children's college education to Peyton, Peyton Manning. Yeah. So for me, biggest loser this week in the NFL, it's Adam Gase. Adam Gase should voluntarily take some of Peyton's forehead for him. You know what? I think that would work because it would work with the eyes that Adam Gase has got going on. Just get a bigger, just, you know what? Just go totally steer into the skid. A hundred percent steer into the skid with Adam Gase. Just give him a bigger forehead. It works out right. <laughs> biggest winner from this weekend in the NFL. I am going to say the biggest winner is, and I know this is lazy. I think it's Sam Darnold. I think that Sam Darnold, just go, go, go with me on this. Okay. Sam Darnold doesn't need to prove that he's a $258 million man in order to get a win. He just has to prove he's not a tire fire hmm. because think about it this way. Sam Darnold's career was teetering on never again, but let's assume for a second that Sam Darnold is Teddy Bridgewater. Let's assume he's Teddy Bridgewater. That's a good career. You can have a great career. Teddy Bridgewater was a first-round pick, ended up having a good career. And if Sam Darnold is able to go from trash heap to Teddy Bridgewater, I consider that a massive, a massive upgrade because there was a line of thinking that Sam Darnold was the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. If you go from that to Teddy Bridgewater, you don't need to be a $258 million man to be a big winner in Bruce's book. You just need to be competent. And that's what I think we got from Darnold. The Panthers can win a lot of football games. Here's their next four matchups. The Cowboys, the Eagles, the Vikings, and the Giants. After that, the Falcons and the Patriots. They could be 8-0. Um, and Bruce, I'll say this about, about, uh, about Darnold is the next two weeks, the next three weeks without Christian McCaffrey are going to test his ability. And we're really going to see how good Sam Darnold is when they're, when they're not game planning around trying to stop Christian McCaffrey first and foremost. But I, I have like through three weeks, what I've seen from Sam Darnold, I, I do believe he's an ascending quarterback. I do believe the guy we're watching now is definitely more or less the guy I believed he could be. Do I did I ever at any point think he was going to be what Josh Allen was last year? No. But I think somewhere between Teddy Bridgewater and you know Jameis Winston, I think is probably where you you end up with Sam Darnold. Can I can I give you my biggest winners and losers? Absolutely. Um, so my I'll start with my biggest winner first. My biggest winner this week. Nah, actually, let me start with my biggest loser. It's Urban Meyer again. Sorry, I just I just wanted to just you know make people <laughs> think that that I wasn't going to go Urban Meyer. Of course, it's Urban Meyer. Everyone's Alabama. No kidding. Come on, Urban. You don't tell a coach you've never met for the first time, and the first thing you say is, "Whoa, Will. You know, a lot of teams are. This is a lot like playing Alabama every week. Give me a break, Urban. Tooth and uh, tongue and cheek." Uh, don't admit the unadmittable. Come on, Urban. Like, what are you doing, man? You're Bush League. Oh, anyways, uh, biggest winner. Hmm, Max Crosby is turning into one of the best premier edge defenders in all the league and is quickly making Raiders fans forget that they traded Khalil Mack for a bag of change. And ultimately, they end up getting lucky, Bruce. They, they draft the kid 
out of uh, what's his name? I can't even remember his name because he's so insignificant. The kid from Clemson, Cleveland Farrell. Cleveland Farrell. Oh my God, that's a Khalil Mack pick that you pissed away with Cleveland Farrell, only to get Max Crosby in the second round. I've got to say, really, how about the Raiders in general? Maybe the biggest winners from last week. They start. They come off. Derek Carr looks like he is playing at the level that he was playing at before he got that injury at the end of the season, broke his leg, and didn't play in the playoffs. And we saw the likes of uh, the kid from Michigan State, uh, Connor Cook, play in the playoffs. Okay, so I, I think the the Raiders are big winners of of, of week two. We'll we'll see what they look like this week against the Dolphins, who they should win and be three and zero. They may be the top team in the. They may have the best record in the AFC after this week. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We talked about seafood. We talked about Allen. We talked about the offensive line, play calling. We talked about the pass rush. We talked about schematics. We had Chris Trapasso on. We had Chris Trapasso on. We talked about chicken sandwich. We did an ad read. We took some questions. <laughs> we did all the things. This has been a four course, five course. I drank meal, a Paula's even. peanut stick porter from Flying Bison tonight. And we did all the things. So thanks for stopping by, Bill's Mafia. And we hope you didn't leave hungry.